Greetings, Cornerstone family. I know this feels a little bit weird. It feels weird to me too. This is the first time I've taught like this, so be gentle with me. But um, and it's also just weird not being together like uh, we normally would be. And um, but I'm kind of embracing that in a sense of saying that that hopefully it makes us long to be together. That we will um, we talk about how much we love the one another's and love being together and the inability to do that in a in a normal sense, hopefully puts a longing in our heart. And along those lines, I just want to share with you that, that what we're not trying to do in these uploaded videos of the messages for this, however long this season is for us, is we're not trying to recreate what we do on Sundays. Um, one, because we can't, but even if we could, we don't want to do that because um, it's sending a message that we don't want to send, that I don't want my own heart to hear, and that is that this is not church. Um, it is, yes, it is, it is believers being together as best we can be. It is um, the Word of God being taught, and it is the discussions you're going to have. And, but that's not what church is. Church is the body of Christ, the multifaceted, multi-gifted body of Christ gathering together to reveal His glory. And, um, and so hopefully, the fact that we're not doing it exactly like we would do it on Sundays makes you realize and feel the difference, like I'm feeling it right now. And I'm sure you are too. So, so that we long to be back together so that we can together experience His glory on us and reveal His glory to others that come into our midst. And um, in the meantime, we'll be sending out some information soon, not just about our gatherings or not, but also just about how we can do a good job as the body of Christ caring for one another and also caring for the people in our community. There is great gospel opportunity here. And so we want to look for those opportunities in whatever formats, technology, walking over to your neighbor's house and seeing if they're okay, whatever that would be. So we want to just be um, very aware of the fact that uh, God is not surprised. And, and we can either sit back and lament or we can step into these moments and embrace them for what they are. And that is um, an opportunity to just, to just share who Jesus is and why it matters. And, and if the current events in the world aren't showing us that um, that it is important that people know who Jesus is and they know where their eternity is going to be spent. I don't know what it's going to take. So I, I believe, and a lot of us in our leadership team believe, that, that Jesus is shaking the world awake, his church in particular awake, as the time draws near for his second coming. And that's what we talked about throughout the summer in Revelation. So we're sort of seeing that firsthand. I'm going to be using my iPad a lot today because it's just a lot easier with this format that's already weird to me anyway. Um, I want to remind you that, that, um, that you need to keep checking your emails, check our website, we're, we're getting some new stuff on there to, to update what we will be doing and just ideas for how to encourage you to encourage others even, um, but also not only be let, make sure we have your email address, but be checking your junk mail because unfortunately some of the emails that I'm sending out through our database are going into people's junk mail. So be checking your junk mail for that. If you're not getting your emails, these emails that we're sending out periodically, please contact me, one of the other elders, one of the deacons. All of our information is on the website, contact information, and it's on the back of the bulletin, which is also on our website. So there's a great way for you to, um, to stay connected because we need to stay connected during this time. The way this is going to work is it's not going to be like it was like it is on a Sunday, um, but it'll be a little bit like the Sundays we've done recently where we've had the table talk time. I'm going to teach for a few minutes and then I'm going to read a table talk question and I'm going to give you a chance to with who, whomever you're gathered with in this moment um, to sit and talk about 
what the word just told us. Because what we know and what we talk about at Cornerstone all the time is the word of God is primary, but it's also, it's the it's not just hearing it and not just reading it, but it is engaging with it. It's engaging with the word of God that really gets it from here down into our souls. And so we want to be sure that um, you're taking time even, even today during this format to talk together and engage around the word of God together as well. Um, the other thing I want to just encourage you to do in your time, time that you're gathered, if you have not already done it, is spend some time talking about um, how the Spirit has been moving in your midst, whether it's things that He's revealing in your heart or how He's um, been, how He's used this kind of unique time in your life, our, our, your own little version of gospel moments, um, and share those. In fact, maybe even pause the recording and share those moments now. But um, take some time and, and just talk about the great things the Lord is doing. There's so much bad news out there, and I would encourage you to turn it off, frankly. But... Uh, I do that all the time, but um, but being able to share what God is doing is a way to encourage your heart to remember that he is still on his throne. He is not shaken. Um, he is not worried or wondering what's going on in the world. He knows exactly what's going on and what the enemy means for evil. He will turn for good. He's done it for us and he's done it for his people throughout the eons and he hasn't gonna, he isn't going to let go now. So with that, let me pray and then we're going to open it up and we're going to talk about uh, the message that we're in. So Father, I just come to you right now, Lord, with my brothers and sisters, wherever they are and whenever they are, uh, Lord, and we just, um, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that from everlasting to everlasting, you are God and um, you're unchanging and you, you're the same God who spoke creation into existence and you're speaking now. Um, and Lord, I want to pray that that you would help us um, help heal the people that are sick right now, Lord. That that this virus that's going around um, is not is not the first one, and it won't be the last one. Uh, but Lord, it's also not out of your control. That you are in charge of the the big and the infin in the in the small things like viruses. Uh, there's no there's nothing that is out of your control. So I do pray that you would heal people, that you would stop the spread, Lord. I pray that that like in the Old Testament, you would stop the plague right at the right at the um, at the threshold. Lord, I pray that you would protect uh, the sweet family of God that we have. Lord, I pray that you would protect those people that have, that have called you by name, Lord, and, um, and that you would um, command your angels, as your word promises in Psalm 91, uh, concerning us to guard us in all our ways, because we have made you our refuge. Uh, Lord, I do want to pray, too, for other churches, not just here in um, the valley, but around the world uh, that are struggling right now. It's struggling to figure out how to help people stay connected, connected to you, but also connected together. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Lord, I pray for our leadership team. I thank you for the selfless servants that they are. Father, I, I thank you, too, that, um, that we have technology that allows us to do stuff like this. Um, it, we, are we are a blessed people. Let us see the blessings and dwell on those far more than we see the, the, the things that we see as struggles. And even in those struggles, may we see them as what they are, which is a momentary light affliction. Uh, in, the, in, in the eternal weight of glory, today, tomorrow, the next month, whatever this is, is a, is a dot. It's a blip on the line that goes on forever. So let us make the most of the dot for eternity. Lord, I pray now that as we continue to worship you in the word, you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your truth. And I pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, amen. So today we're going to actually start 
um, a series. We've, we've talked a lot about walking with Jesus and how Jesus walks with us. And today we're actually going to be starting our resurrection series. It was planned before any of this even happened because uh, resurrection weekend is coming up in four weeks, I think it is. And so um, today we're going to be talking about what it looks like. We're going to start a series that we're calling Living Like Christ and, and how we can really walk with him in these coming weeks as we walk into resurrection weekend. Because get this, the enemy wants us to forget the cross. He wants to get in the way of the cross, and he always has. He has from the beginning. And so it's it's no coincidence that this is coming into our country um, at the time of, of the resurrection, of the resurrection season. And so do what you need to do and do what you can do to remember Jesus Christ and him crucified, to remember the cross. And, and so what we're trying to do in this series this week, next week, um, for the next three weeks prior to Resurrection Weekend is just take some time to stop and pause and say, let's remember the cross, the resurrection, and eternity that is sealed in knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. So today's message is entitled, Practicing Radical Hospitality, Love That Costs You Something. Doesn't that sound like fun? And so we're going we're gonna to look at a passage that is a fairly well-known passage. We've actually looked at it before because we taught through the Gospel of John, but we're going to be in John 13. So if you have your Bible, find your Bible or get a Bible um, or your Bible app or whatever it is and open it up to John 13. And we are going to look at this powerful scene in Scripture in John 13. And the question I'm going to ask today as we talk about practicing radical hospitality is, to whom should you be hospitable? So to who should we to whom should we uh, reach out and be hospitable to and and just so I'm gonna I'm gonna since I have this in front of me actually I'm gonna look at how does the dictionary define hospitality so here's how the Oxford dictionary defines hospitality don't you love technology it says it is the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests visitors or strangers it is the friendly and generous reception of entertainment of guests visitors and strangers. So how do we do that radically? How do we do that um, in a way that is that is frankly supernatural and distinctly different from what the world does? Because if, if you've done any reading about how the church has responded, we've posted some things on our Facebook page and things about how the church has responded to plagues and viruses and, and, and times in the past, um, what they were known for and, and what grew the kingdom of God in seasons more than any other, was the radical hospitality that Christians displayed, not just towards each other, but certainly towards each other, but also towards the hurting. In fact, early in the church, this is, this is after, the, after Acts, but in the first and second century, so after the book of Acts was over, but in the first and second century, what frustrated the Romans the most about the early Christians that they were trying to exterminate was that even in times of plague, when, when, the, when the pagan world, when the unbelieving world was consumed in self-preservation, the Christians were reaching out and helping not only one another, but were helping the people that didn't believe. And so this is such a great opportunity for us to step into that space like they did and practice radical hospitality. So, Eve, so don't get your mind up, well, how can we have, have radical hospitality um, when, when we're not even supposed to be around people? Get creative. Pray for guidance. Pray that the Holy Spirit will, will reveal to you what that would look like. But for now, let's take a look at the question. So the question is, to whom should you be hospitable? And the first thing that Jesus is going to show us in this passage is, to those who are tempted, who we are tempted to think don't deserve it. So the first group of people that we should be hospitable to are the people we don't think should we should be hospitable to. So take a look at what I mean by that. Let's look at um, John chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. 
And he says, now there, now before the feast of Passover, so Jesus had entered into the into Jerusalem for the last time. He had been in, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead just um, just recently. He's entered back in Jerusalem in the last time, and he knows the cross is before him. This is 24 hours before he is hanging on a cross, and he knows it. He knows it's coming, and we, we will see that as we read our daily readings in John 14, 15 through 17 and 18 when he gets arrested as we go through the next couple of weeks. But, um, but he knows that it's the time of the Passover. He's set his heart to the cross, and it says, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. So his hour had come. In Galatians chapter 4, I think it is, um, Paul says that in the, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. And so this is that, this is that moment. The fullness of time came. Jesus knew exactly when, when it was time for him to turn to Jerusalem and ultimately go to the cross. But this had been planned from eternity past. In Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You, God, have been our dwelling place for all generations before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I don't know how long everlasting to everlasting is, but it's a really long time. And God has always been. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is the Almighty. And then it says, and he loved them to the end. That literally means in the Greek, into end. It actually means he loved them into end. Into eternity is what it means. It means that he ultimately, he knows who he is sealing for eternal salvation at this point. And so it says he, he loved them completely. He loved them fully. He loved them wholly. He loved them eternally. And guess what? He does the same thing for you and I. And that's, and that's what I think is so encouraging and we need to renew our mind with. Because, again, even in the Old Testament, Psalm 103 says, not just, not just is God from everlasting to everlasting, it says, but the loving kindness of the Lord. Psalm 103, 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to His children's children. So our God is a gracious God, and He and He is in control. Remind yourselves of that, brothers and sisters. Seriously, um, because the world and the enemy and the news media and Facebook and everything else are trying to tell us something different, and it's just not truth. What's truth is from everlasting, to everlasting. He is God, and from everlasting, to everlasting, He has loved you. Verse two. During the supper, the devil, having already put into his, the heart of Judas Iscariot, the, the son of Simon, to betray him. So, Judas was one of the twelve. Jesus knows at this point that Judas is going to betray him. And that's important for us to remember if we're going to learn what Jesus set this whole scene up that we're going to look at in John 13. This is an intentional moment that Jesus has set up, not certainly for the twelve, and the, well, it ends up being the 11, but also for us today. But we have to remember, Judas is in the room, and Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him. And then he says in verse, 13, in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hand, into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he has always been God. John 1, 1 through 5, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And nothing that we see that has come into being has come into being apart from Him. Nothing in creation is out of His control, including 
COVID-19, including whatever the next thing is going to be. All of it is in his control. The enemy is at work. The enemy is not beyond his sovereign control. And the word, that word that is eternal, that has always been, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then in verse 4, it says, This eternal God who took on flesh, Jesus Christ, gets up from the table. And I get this, guys. This is so huge. He gets up from the, from the table, lays aside his garments. So basically takes off everything but his underwear in our vernacular. And taking a towel, girds himself. Means he just wrapped that towel around his waist like you would when you get out of the shower. And then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he had girded himself. Guys, when he lays aside his garment, that's such a beautiful picture of, of him laying aside um, his deity, even as Paul tells us in Colossians. Um, taking off his robe, he ties this towel around his waist. One by one, he goes around the table and he begins to wash their feet. It takes time at each person. I imagine the awkwardness in the room between the 11 of them, because every one of those men that walked through the room, the 12 of them at this point still, every one of them walked by the basin of, of water and they knew exactly what it was for because this was a common custom that we see throughout the Gospels. And so they all walked by it there was no servant in the room to wash their feet, and none of them were willing to lower themselves to that place. So at this point, in the middle of the meal, Jesus gets up, the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords gets up, takes off his clothes, and he washes their feet. It's such an amazing um, picture of utter selflessness. It, um, he is making himself out to be the servant. He's making himself out to be the slave. It's what he talks about in Mark 10. Early in his ministry, he says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He is, what I love about this is throughout the meal, not just in this scene and washing their feet, but throughout the last Passover, he is the most active person in the room. Doesn't it seem like, if I were him, and I know what's coming, he knows the cross is coming, 24 hours, and he knows he knows what's going to happen in just a few hours. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten severely. All those things that we're going to look at more closely as we move into the resurrection time. But guys, doesn't it seem like we would be like, I mean, if I were him, I'd be going, hey, don't I deserve to be a little pampered? Like I'm about to have a really hard last 24 hours of life. Don't I deserve to have to be, if there's any point in my existence, I deserve to be served. Isn't it now? And instead he does the, not just does the opposite. He does as extreme an opposite as he possibly can, because this was a disgusting job for somebody to do, to wash people's feet. This was the lowest of the lowest, the lowest slave in the house. That was their job because these feet were disgusting because now they were not only dirty on dusty roads, but they were dirty with um, animal excrement. Um, it was just not pleasant. Like there were, it, it was not. And so for him to do this um, was was um, probably completely shaking the men in the room at that point. But can't our hearts get like theirs were, where we look and we go, you know what? I deserve. I've worked hard today. I deserve to be served. I I deserve to have my wife, you know, do this for me because look at all the things I've done for her. And and Jesus deserved to be served. He had. He had served his disciples for three and a half years. And yet, even at this last time, he's like, and I'm still going to serve you. You're not going to serve me. And it's truly an amazing thing. He emptied himself. It's what Paul talks about in Philippians, where it says that in Philippians chapter 2, that he, although he existed in the form of God, he did not equate equality with God. 
um, something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of man, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so um, I need to do a better job of remembering that in the, in the coming weeks. When I'm feeling like I deserve some, some downtime, I deserve some time to just sit back, I deserve time to, to not um, go try to find out how I can help my neighbor because I'm just overwhelmed. Uh, um, Jesus was overwhelmed. I mean, this, this was an extraordinary act of kindness. And especially when you consider that in, the, in Luke's account, in, right before Luke talks about the Last Supper, in, as they're walking to Jerusalem, as they're walking to the upper room, what we're seeing right now, to have, to have their feet washed by Jesus, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. So, so, so he's over here, half naked, washing dirty, disgusting feet, on the way to that moment, his disciples, who he's been training for three and a half years, are arguing who's going to get the place of honor at the table. Um, but again, can't we be like that? It's just amazing how often we can struggle that way. Um, Jesus demonstrates real, tangible humility. Guys, saying that we're humble is not being humble. Humble has a face. Humble has, humbleness is an action. And in this particular case, that face is Jesus Christ. These questions that we're going to look at, this first Table Talk question, they're on the connecting points, which are on our website. You can go to our website and, and download the PDF for the connecting points, for the bulletin, for the other resources we have for these coming Sundays. Um, they're up there, so you can look at those and, and get those. If you don't have one in your hand right now, you can get one on the website. Um, but the questions will get a little harder. This first one, you're just going to take a few minutes to discuss. Um, you're going to, it says, the first question says, at the heart of hospitality is an understanding of what Jesus has done to you and that all he has given you is for his kingdom glory. How is the temperature of your heart for hospitality? Especially in these hard times. In other words, how are you doing at being hospitable? Well, what I want you to do right now is um, push pause or whatever you need to do to stop the recording. Take a few minutes with whoever you're with and just engage in the Word of God and what we looked at, and just answer briefly answer the question: How are you? How are you doing right now at being hospitable? Well, welcome back. So. Um, hopefully you had a little time to discuss that. Remember, the question we're looking at today is to whom should you be hospitable? And the first thing we saw in the first five verses was to those you are tempted to think don't deserve it. Now, if you go back and you look at verse five, in verse five when he says, and I'm going to point this out one more time, then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel with which he was girded. So whose feet did Jesus wash? The disciples. Who was one of those disciples that was still in the room at this point? Judas. Okay, so we, we have to remember that. Jesus could have waited for Judas to leave the room before he washed the disciples' feet. And he didn't. On purpose. Jesus was so intentional. And I have to remind myself of that as, as, I, as I've had ample opportunity to feel betrayed, like I just somehow deserve better, um, I have constantly reminded myself, my wife, my daughters, people that I love, that I'm in ministry with, Jesus intentionally washed the disciples' feet, and he intentionally washed Judas's. And, and that should break me every time. 
of feeling like I don't deserve to be betrayed or I deserve to have vengeance on this person. Um, we don't deserve it. Or we don't, we don't have that right, I mean. And so let's not go there. So the second thing that we need to look at is, as far as who we should be hospitable to is those who awkwardly respond to hospitality. Those who awkwardly respond to it. And, here's, and let me show you. We're just going to read a, a chunk of this, um, verses 6 through 11, and then I'll show you what I mean by the awkward response. It's hilarious, actually. It says in verse 6, it says, So he came to Simon Peter. So when he, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? So Peter looks at Jesus and is like, You're going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what, do I, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash, your, wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to have his feet washed, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. That's how we know that he knew what Judas was going to do and washed his feet anyway. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So now where in that do I get this idea of, of we're supposed to be hospitable to people um, who, are, who respond to it awkwardly? And what does that even mean? Well, in verse 6, when, he says, when, when, when Peter says to Jesus, never shall you wash my feet, don't you have to stop and go, okay, like, remember, remember who Peter's addressing, right? He looks at Jesus, his rabbi, his, his teacher, his discipler, his Lord, his savior, his king, and he looks at him and says, you're not washing my feet. And, and, and once again, don't you have to kind of go, like, like, seriously, Peter, don't you have any sort of internal regulator like, don't you have any way of controlling what comes out of this mouth? It, it's, it's like, in, for example, I think in, in um, Matthew 16, when, um, when right, like Jesus, or Peter says, when, when Jesus asked the question, so who do people say that I am? It's, it's Peter that pipes up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And six verses later, after Jesus starts teaching about how he's going to suffer and die, it says that Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. Peter, rebuking Jesus, the one he had just called the Christ. Like He just doesn't have any filter. It's, it's like in Acts chapter 10, when, when Peter, once again, bless his heart, when Peter is in Caesarea, and, and Jesus is ready for the gospel to go out, not just to the Jews, but to all the nations, to the Gentiles. So he, he, gives, he shows up and he gives Peter this vision of all of this food that a good Jew would not eat. This is in Acts chapter 10. And, Jesus, and Peter's response to Jesus, and, and he looks at Peter and he says, eat it. And Peter's response is, by no means, Lord. No way, Lord. Not doing it. Well, first of all, that, that doesn't work, right? If, if Jesus is Lord then we can't say no. And if we say no, then Jesus is not Lord. But once again, Peter is just is showing us who we are, ultimately. Because again, don't we do that? Don't we sometimes say, man, one minute we're like, man, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. And the next minute we go, yeah, but I don't want to do that. You, you told me to go love my neighbor as myself. Yeah, I'm not, not today. You told me to live with my wife in an understanding way. Yeah, not so much. Right? But that's exactly what Peter is doing here. But also, don't we have friends like this? 
Don't we have friends like Peter where, where um, or frankly, don't we have kids like this that have no filter, where, where you're like in public and, and they say something and you're going, okay, really? Like, like, do you not have a regulator? Or they respond in a way that you're like, man, just bring it down a notch. Because there are just people that don't, um, that maybe, whether it's social awkwardness or they're just different than me or they're different than you, that we just think, wow, like, like this, um, this is an awkward response. So you reach out to them, you try to have them over for dinner, you try to, and you're just like, wow, that was painfully awkward, right? Peter is being painfully awkward at this point, and Jesus is just loving him anyway. It's interesting, too, um, back in verse 8, when he says, when, Peter's, when Jesus' response to Peter, when he says, never shall you wash my feet, in verse 8, when he says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now, there's certainly a spiritual part of that. He's saying, if I don't wash you clean with my blood, which is what's going to happen at the cross, you are made whiter than snow, right? It's the, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed his, our sins from us through the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's also a physical aspect of it. What he's saying here is he's saying, if, if, if you don't let me show you this example that I'm showing you, then you're not really mine. And so there's, there's a, a dual play there. At least that's what I, I believe he's saying. But then it also goes on, and, and in verse 9, when he says, Simon Peter, so, so, so then this is where it gets really funny. Is, so Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. He says, well, then, then you're not really mine. So he's like, okay, then. Wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. You can almost picture Peter getting up off, off the table, which would have been like laying on pillows, jumping up and starting to get naked. Like that, that is so impulsive, Peter. And, and, and Jesus just going like, okay, no, no, no. It, I've, you're all, you've already had a bath, Peter. You're clean. I, I'm cleaning you. I, I'm, you, you, are, you are clean because of what I'm about to do for you, not in washing your feet, but in going to the cross, I just want to give you an example. So bring it down a notch, because it just got really awkward in the room when Peter's like, then wash all of me. Like, okay, foot washing was a regular occurrence. Getting naked and bathing each other was not at a dinner table of a bunch of men. And so it was like that awkward, and, and that was Peter. But again, don't we tend to, when we see people that are like that, when we see those people that are just, man, we know there's going to be an awkward moment at that dinner table. Um, they're just a little odd from our perspective. They're socially awkward, whatever it is. We tend to distance ourselves. And yet Jesus, over and over and over again, including in this last few hours of his earthly existence here, steps into those moments. So let's take a look at the table talk question. It's our second one. This one I want you to spend a little more time talking about says, radical hospitality means sacrificing self to show love to others, even others you may not want to be with. Did you get that? So radical hospitality is what we're talking about today. What does it look like to be radically open to strangers and to friends and to, and to love and be generous, to be just generous people, to, is, is to do so even with people you may not want to be with. We talk about that a lot at Cornerstone. If the only people you're hanging out with is this tight little circle of friends that you've, like if right now maybe the only, you, you've invited over a handful of people, in this circumstance, totally get it. If two months from now when all this is gone or two weeks from now when all this is gone, it's still just you and this little circle of people because you like to hang out with them because you have a lot in common, that's not church and that's not Jesus. 
Jesus hung out with the awkward people. Jesus hung out with the people who annoyed, who frankly annoyed him, except that he was perfect. We need to too. So think of some people, don't say names out loud. Think of some people and some ways that you can get more radical in showing hospitality to others around you, especially to those you may see as awkward. So, so who are those people? Just, just take a minute, pray. Who are those people that you have sort of distanced yourself from because it's just hard to be around them, right? Or, or maybe you haven't even tried yet with neighbors or coworkers or classmates. And think of ways that you can start stepping into those spaces and engaging with them in radical hospitality. So take a few minutes and talk about that. So, before we finish with our last point and our last table talk question, we need to go back and take a look at something. Because especially with what's going on in our world right now, this is so important. Look at verse 11. He says, For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. Guys, now, now stop and think about this for a minute. Judas didn't just walk into the room off the street. Judas has been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. Guys, if you, listen to what I'm about to say. It is entirely possible to serve the Savior and not be saved. It is entirely possible to serve the Savior and not be saved. Judas was serving Christ for three and a half years, and he was not of him. He was not with him. Guys, it is, it is all too common in the church today for people to know all the rules but miss the Redeemer. Right? We, we, we are so good at putting on an, an external shell of moralism and then trying to make other people fit that and meet that and not really know Jesus. And, and as a pastor that breaks my heart because I know my own propensity in that. And, and especially in light of what's going on in our world. Guys, if there has ever been a time in, in, in our lives where we need to know that we know that we know that our eternity is sealed because we are of Him, we are with Him, He is ours, we are His. If there's ever been a time that we need to know that we know that we know that, now's the time. If not now, when? Like, seriously. And so, if, if you know that you know, then I'm going to ask you to write down this passage that we're going to turn to in a minute and, and figure out how you can get better at not only taking those verses to heart, but taking them to people. And if you don't know that you know, I want to ask that you would take this next few minutes and that you would let these verses that I'm going to read go down into your heart. So keep your finger in John and turn, if you would, to the right of where we are. Um, in, and you're going to go past Acts, past Romans, past the big letter of 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you get to um, the, uh, the smaller letters, then you've gone too far. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 17, which is a very common verse, probably the most common ver or most well-known verse in the whole letter of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old is past, the new has come. But, but look at verse 18 on. 
Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Guys, God is in the, the enemy is in the isolation business. He wants to isolate us from each other and from God. Jesus, God, is in the reconciling business. He wants to bring us together. He wants to bring us together as people and he wants to bring us together with him. And he has invited us into this ministry of inviting people into togetherness. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is. How can we get right with God and have relationship that glorifies God? That's the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself through the cross. We'll see that in a few weeks. Not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's the gospel message. That's the good news that what Jesus did on the cross is the gospel. It is what he did for us what we could not do. That's the ministry, that, is the, that is the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making a, an appeal through us. Guys, this is our job description as Christians. We be, this is what we should be about like never before, in every way we can think of doing it. Text, email, social media, walking across the street and, 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 and ask, talking to your neighbors. Walking your neighborhood and just praying every night for every home. And if somebody comes out, just look at them and say, hey man, I've been walking this neighborhood in this time and, I, and I've been praying specifically for your house. Can you just give me some insight on something specifically I can pray for you for? Just give me like the inside story, like just something that I can pray for your house for and I'll commit to praying for it. And then, and then just do it and then see how the Lord uses that. And then he says, we beg you, this is our job, beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And, and that's what I'm doing here from my little video camera is if you do not know that you know that you know, I am begging you like never before, be reconciled, get right with God, through his son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That's what happened on the cross so that he, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So because he did for us, died a death we deserved that he didn't, we can now live his life as we walk with him. Now get this, the first two verses of chapter six, and then we'll go back to John. And working together with him, so we're partnering with him in this ministry of reconciliation. We urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. God is making this offer of the gospel. Don't just push it away. Don't let your friends just push it away. Time is short. At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Now get this, the rest of verse 2. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If not you, who? If not now, when? I'm going to pray to that. And Father, I just want to pray right now for those, whenever they see this, if, if they do not know that they know that they know, that they would just cry out to you, like I did 25 plus years ago. If you are real, Lord, I've, 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 I've seen evidences of you, now I want to know you, then make yourself real to me. Open the spiritual eyes of my heart. Turn my heart of stone, my hard heart that's shoving the gospel message away into that soft, baby bottom-like heart of flesh that I might receive the word implanted. Let me be born again to new life that I might not ever fear death. In Jesus' name, amen.
So today's question is, to whom should we be hospitable? Who do we need to be as we're ambassadors of Christ, as we're practicing this ministry of reconciliation? To whom is that? One, people that you don't think deserve it. Two, people that you think are just frankly awkward. And then the last way is those who will help you, who will help make you look more like Christ. If you look at the last few verses of our passage that we're going to look at today, I'm going to pick it up, I guess I ought to turn back there. In John 13, starting in verse 12, he says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? I love how our Savior always asks these great questions. Do you know what I've done to you? You called me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Doesn't that sound a lot like his half-brother James that we've been looking at in, in our series in James? Like when he says, if you know them, you're blessed if you do them. If you, if you want to, keep your finger there. We're going to come right back to it. But in James, where we've been, James chapter 1, you just keep going to the right. If you get to the Peters, um, it's past Hebrews. If you get to the Peters or the Johns, you've gone too far. James chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 22. We looked at it several weeks ago. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. Who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who is who who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having been a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Do you hear the similarity? I mean, it's like they lived in the same home for a while or something. This man will be blessed in what he does, it's the same Holy Spirit that's actually inspiring James to write this, is why. He is blessed in what he does. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like, and you will be blessed if you do them. Do what? The word that you just heard as an effectual doer of the word. So these are not suggestions. When Jesus says, I've given you an example in verse 15. I've given you an example that you would do what I did to you. He's not suggesting it. It's a command. And then he says, and oh, by the way, when you're obedient to that command, there's a blessing that comes with that. Guys, oh, he, isn't a, he isn't a savior that's like, obey, 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 obey. He's saying, you know what? When you obey, you are blessed because guess what? When you obey, that's where I am. The blessing is him. The blessing of obedience is that's where we find him. When we're walking in obedience to him, when we're walking with him, that's when we find him. So we need to, we need to obey and, and be willing to wash one another's feet, not because we have to, and not even because we get to, but because we want to, because when we do it, we're, we are never more like Christ. And that ought to be what we want. Guys, understand that, that all of this, this whole scene that we've looked at tonight or today is, is, a, is a specifically and intentionally orchestrated event. Jesus brought all this together on purpose so that he could teach them something here and so that he can teach us something today. 
And that is that to take up your cross and follow me, what Jesus says to us, has never been a promise for ease. It's never been a promise for peace. It's never been a promise for you're not going to you're not going to get the coronavirus. It's ne- it's never been any of that. It's been are you willing to just obey me? This is the last physical act he carries out before he goes to his greatest physical act, the cross. Can you think about that. The last thing he does before he goes to the cross is he strips himself of his clothes and he does the most meaning most demeaning job, the most selfless job you can possibly do right before he goes and does the biggest selfless job you could ever do, and that is to die for people that don't deserve it. Guys, we are called to walk. 1 John 2, 4 through 6 says, those who are of him will walk in a manner in which he walks. We, we are, as we walk with him, we are to walk like him. And guys, we cannot wait for this, whatever this thing is, to pass before we start practicing hospitality. Now is the time. The way I started at the beginning, guys, this is the time for the church to shine. The darker the darkness gets, the brighter the light can shine in it. We can't sit back and wait. Guys, Jesus was facing a much bigger crisis than than COVID-19. And he did what he did on this night anyway. With a few hours left, this is what he chose to do. Right? The church has faced much more difficult crises in their existence, and they have chosen to step out when when they've been doing what he's called them to do and to love others into the kingdom of God. They've chosen to practice selfless love, radical hospitality, and great grace. So I'm going to read the last Table Talk question, and I'm going to close in prayer. I would encourage you to, if you're gathered with people, Wherever you are, I would encourage you to um, spend some time just praying, talking about the, the Table Talk question, and then praising God for who He is and for what He's done. Reminding yourselves and each other that, that we do not walk by sight, but by faith. So the Table Talk question is this. There's a huge opportunity for your light to shine that the world might see it. And in seeing it, see a glimpse of God. How might you or your family together better use hospitality as ways to encourage others, witness to others, and see his kingdom expand in this present time and beyond? And guys, before I pray, I want to tell you, as you come up with these ideas, as you're talking in, 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 your, in this time and then for the, in the coming days, and you come up with some really good ideas, share them. Email me, email Pastor Jeff, email the leadership. Um, we're going to try and get something on our website where you could just post it there. But we want to, we want to share good ideas for how to practice radical hospitality. But start by just walking your neighborhood. Start by just praying for people in your, in your Rolodex, on your contact list, and see what God does with that. Thank you for hanging in there with us. Um, I miss you guys. I, I don't like this even a little bit. I cannot wait um, for being back together with you guys. And so, um, let me pray. Love you dearly. Jesus loves you more. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. Um, I thank you. I do thank you for the medium of stuff like the internet that allows us to at least have some connection. Um, but Lord, I confess that it makes my heart long to see my brothers and sisters, um, long to hug and to um, just talk and share stories and be together. 
I pray that you would um, have that that it would have the same effect on um, on us as a church family. That we would understand that this is just where we're at, but at the same time that it would, we would be like, yeah, this is not church. Um, that it would that it would drive home what we've been talking about for the last year or two at Cornerstone. Um, that really it is about the one another's in which you reveal your glory. That we exist as a church to reveal the glory of God through real relationship with Christ and each other. Um, we can still do part of that, but it's really hard to do the second part. Um, so we pray for a quick end to this so that we can gather back together. But in the meantime, Lord, I pray that we would make the most of this time, that we wouldn't just sit back and stream Netflix or whatever it is, but that we would make the most of this time to build relationships and practice radical hospitality. Lord, I thank you for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I thank you for your word that, that, we, can, that we can enter into those moments with Him just by opening it up. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that that brings our that that opened the spiritual eyes of our hearts that we might behold wonderful things from your truth. I thank you for your church. I thank you that it is your church. I thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against it because you hold the keys to their gate. You hold the keys to death and to Hades. They're just scared to death. So may we take the fight right to the pit of hell, whatever that would look like. Lord, I thank you most of all for the great grace that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.